We continue with our discussion on the fatal flaws of Mormonism with Earl Erskine next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? has been co-host on Polygamy, What Love Is This? for a very long time now, and as a former bishop in the LDS Church, he contributes insight from the perspective of a, a church member when discussing Mormon fundamentalism. He's written a book that has recently been released telling the story of he and his wife Carla's journey out of Mormonism and to the biblical Jesus. The book is entitled Fatal Flaws of the LDS Church, and certainly many flaws that are found in the LDS Church can be observed in the Mormon fundamentalist religion, making it highly relative for our program. Yeah. And, of course, you saw the picture of the front and the back cover of the book, so I'd like to welcome back, Earl. Thank you. Uh, this is a part three of, no, of our discussion, and thank you for coming and discussing it with us. And where can our viewers get a book? Well, we can, we've can. we got it available on Kindle and Amazon, and easiest maybe is MSCBC, Main Street Church, Brigham City, MSCBC.org. Okay. And they can order it through there and... So they can get a Kindle on digital then as yes, well. Yes, if That's they want good. to. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the book is an easy read, very good read. Yeah, it covers you. topics that are relevant to everyone and anyone who holds on to the religion that Joseph Smith founded yeah. or who may have some serious questions. Uh, Earl's approach to the problems of Mormonism is kind and gentle, and it is foundationally honest as he tells his sometimes painful journey just to find out the truth. Finding the truth, I'm sure he will agree, is the most important thing for anyone and everyone to do. So, let's begin where we left off last time. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, we're going to begin with chapter 5, which is entitled, Jesus and Jehovah, the Law of Eternal Progression. Now, Mormonism's idea of eternal progression is not a biblical or Christian concept at all. It's very unique, and I don't think any other religion really has it quite like the LDS does on that. Yeah. certainly isn't from the Bible. No. Would you briefly explain, maybe to those who don't understand what that is, what the law, Mormon law of eternal progression is? Yeah, actually it's fascinating. I'm not sure where it all comes from, but Joseph Smith taught that uh, we're intelligences at the very, very beginning. We have always existed. We Everyone was an intelligence at some point, and then Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother create spirit bodies, which is an interesting contradiction because they're uh, supposedly flesh and bone. So they have these spirit children, though, and they provide bodies for these intelligences. Then we lived with Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother for a long time, I guess, as, as spirit pers people. And then the idea was, uh, okay, well, let's uh, send them to an earth. We wanted to become like God, we become like our Heavenly Father. So we um, talk him into, and then there's some grand council, and Satan presents a plan, and Jesus presents a plan, Jesus' plan's picked up. Anyway, so we, God creates the earth and sends down these spirits, uh, in, and then they are given bodies, and then we go through life here, and then depending on how good we do and how well we keep the commandments, 
then we can return back to Heavenly Father, and eventually we become a God ourselves. Which is supposedly we, the same thing that God himself went through in order to become a God, Exactly. Right? God has not always been God, yeah. according to Mormonism. Yeah. He was once an intelligence. or We don't always know whether he, our Heavenly Father was a Jesus on another planet. We were taught he was. was yeah. yeah. But I don't That's know common, it. common. But he didn't need to be. He could have been a very sinful person who... Yeah. who decided to repent and become a better person. And, and progressed. Progressed to become God. I always thought it was funny, you know, when, when do you get your graduation certificate, you know, when do you become a God? Uh, is it just one, one, one day you're not a God and the next day you are? It was very <laughs> funny. But the whole concept of this Jesus versus Jehovah, the idea is um, the progression that Jesus had to take, I think, to become a God, which is the same one that we all take. Mm -hmm. He's my elder brother, so mm -hmm. does in, in Mormon <clears throat> teaching. And so he had to be born to Heavenly Father. He wasn't created. He was, well, he was, he was created. And then he had to come to an earth, get a body, be baptized, go through the temple, be married, do all those things to become a God. And yet, Christians and both LDS and Christians believe that Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Yeah. So, how so here he is already a God in Jehovah. So what was he lacking? In and order we're going to talk about that a little bit later, yeah. about what he was lacking. Right. Because I think that's a very interesting concept. Of, yeah. um, uh, now, I have a quote, what you quoted, okay. Wilfred <laughs> Woodruff, um, the fourth president, uh, where he said, and I quote, God himself is increasing and progressing in knowledge power and dominion and will do so worlds without end. And this is from the Journal of Discourses, December 6, 1857. How does the Book of Mormon differ with that statement? Well, it differs, and of course the Bible differs from that. Uh, absolutely. Um, the whole idea that God is increasing and progressing still is just an interesting concept. But the Book of Mormon talks about... Uh, Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever, that God yes. is, is everlasting and unchanging. Right. That's, that's referenced in several places in First Nephi and in Moroni. <coughs> so, yeah, the Book of Mormon does not teach that Jesus So I wonder if Wilford Woodruff read the Book of Mormon. <laughs> well, I guess he did, but it just seems odd that there would be that uh, idea that God was not. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, the, what's the one scripture about uh, man making God um, a corrupt individual? Yeah. As opposed to being yeah. incorruptible. Exactly. And, that, and so we, we have the, uh, the <clears throat> difference there between a God that's progressing and it hasn't always been God. Mm -hmm. And we have then God. God Almighty. Yeah. So, so yeah. Mormons believe Jesus is a God, mm -hmm. but Christians believe Jesus is God. He is God. Well, the Bible Not teaches that he God, is God. But right. he is God. Yeah. Uh, and, and now this is where we talk about the, the, um, the Jesus, what Joseph Fielding Smith said. Yeah, do you want uh, me to read you that? You quoted, yeah. Christ gained fullness after resurrection. And the way he wrote that, it was all in big capital letters. Mm -hmm. in, in his document. Okay. The Savior did not have a fullness at first, but after he received his body and the resurrection, all power was given unto him, both in heaven and on earth. So, and then you ask the question in the book, well, what exactly did Jesus supposedly lack yeah. before his mortal life on earth? It's a good question. 
What did what did Jesus lack if he was God in the flesh? Of course, the Mormons don't believe that. Well, and then what is the fatal flaw of this belief? Well, the fatal flaw, the reason for the chapter initially is the fatal flaw is that Jesus couldn't be both the God of the Old Testament and this human individual that had to be baptized and get a priesthood and be right. a temple holder mm -hmm. and do all those things. So um, it's just, it just seemed like it, a fatal it, flaw it to me. It doesn't it make any sense. Because it can't be both. <laughs> it can't be both. It's one of those things where it yeah. just cannot be both. Yeah. So Jesus lacked nothing <laughs> before he was here because he was God Almighty and yeah. always has been. Always has been. Chapter six, the first vision. Now we could do four or five yeah. shows on this alone, <laughs> but uh, and this is you said cracks in the foundation. But we're just going to briefly go with this because we can't detail <laughs> all of what we would like to do. But you quote Heber J. Grant's comment that the most glorious thing that ever happened since Jesus was here is that Joseph Smith was visited <laughs> by yeah. God the Father and Jesus. Now the the claim of all of Mormonism's dozens of different breakoffs all rely upon Joseph Smith. Including the polygamists. And right? including the polygamists, all of yeah. them, yes. Uh, and his is 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 the vision that he yeah. supposedly had to restore a lost gospel. And this is common out, commonly called the first vision. How many varying accounts of the first, <laughs> first vision, vision is there? Well, I think everyone would agree pretty much that there's nine. Mm -hmm. Four written by Joseph Smith or authored by him, and then five others by people who witnessed or heard his story, and they, they've written up their, their versions his, his comment. Okay. And almost none of them agree with each other. None uh, of them do agree with well, each the 18th, other, do they? The first one that's the oldest one is the one in 1832. Remember, the first vision took place in 1820. Mm -hmm, so it's 12 years Supposedly. So 12 years later, Joseph Smith in his journal writes this introductory comment about, uh, about the first vision. He says he goes out the trees and of the forest, the sacred grove, and, uh, or the grove, <laughs> and prays, asks for forgiveness. He's, he claims to see one person, mm -hmm. the Lord. He doesn't comment on two people. Right. And he only asks for, for uh, forgiveness for his sins. And he's not told that uh, which that about that he shouldn't join any church. He's not being called as a prophet. It's just uh, and what's interesting is there were another dozen or more people in that same time frame who had such similar experiences. In fact, they, it's you can find that if you look up other first visions or something. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people that claimed to have had those same kinds of visions, mm -hmm. had their sins forgiven, and had a visitation by the Lord. And so that first vision that now is referred to as the restoration of the lost gospel actually did not, God was not telling him to restore a lost gospel in the no, first not actually account. Yeah, and his mother writes a, a biography, and she doesn't include any personal information. She just re repeats his um version of the first vision that's found in the Pearl now, of Great Prize. Based on that, what you just said, read what President Hinckley said um, about yeah. the strength of Mormonism. Based. Our whole strength rests on the validity of that vision. It either occurred or it did not occur. If it did not, then this work is a fraud. If it did, then it is the most important and wonderful work under the heavens. Upon that unique and wonderful experience stands the validity of the church. 
So <laughs> the validity of the church has just crashed based on all these nine versions well, of the vision. It does, and they, there's contradictions. Um, it became more and more, as, as the time progressed, they became more and more flamboyant and more and more, uh, uh, yeah, just his, yeah, his just different version to, evolved. Yeah. Right. His whole nature of thinking about Recent, God. Recently, I, I, somebody said, um, and I thought it was worth mentioning, he commented that when the missionaries tell people to pray about these things, pray about this vision and ask God if they're true or not, yeah. we should ask them which vision we should pray about to see which one is <laughs> which true. One? It's kind of like the Book of Mormon. Which one should we pray about? Yeah, the first one, one or the current one? Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Chapter 7 is entitled Plural Marriage, A New and Disturbing Covenant, and yeah, I quite like that. I'm sure you did. That, because it is very disturbing. Uh, many of today's LDS members actually struggle with the doctrine of polygamy yeah. um, and, and of the early church. And polygamy is often one of the reasons that people do leave um, their membership in the yeah. church itself. Now, you quote Brigham Young, who is a great example of a Mormon polygamist having 56 wives and neglecting most of them. Uh, but anyway, you quote what he said about polygamy. Now, if any of you will deny the plurality of wives and continue to do so, I promise that you will be damned. Now, there's a promise by prophet, prophet and president God, Brigham Young. Now, yeah. either that's true or it's not. That's right. Uh, and, of course, now the LDS Church denies that polygamy was ever preached as being necessary for salvation. But seven of their first seven presidents were polygamous and yeah. they preached that it was an essential. And of course, section 132 does also. So as you studied uh, in your journey, as you were studying the Mormon polygamy history, you discovered the fatal flaw. Of course, there's many, yeah. but which fatal flaw was it that you have in your book? Well, particularly the fact that it was supposedly a restoration of something that's in the Old Testament. Now, Polygamy was in the Old Testament, but God never commanded it. In I don't know if, if it's every case, but almost every case where there is polygamy, there's heartache and, mm -hmm. and abuse and problems. And the Book of Mormon doesn't teach polygamy. In fact, it teaches against polygamy. Right. So my fatal flaw kind of is the contradiction there again of what the LDS teach, what they practiced, and what they really believed. It, is polygamy required in heaven, or does God, uh, is he married, and is, yeah. he, is he a polygamist? Does he have multiple wives? Yeah. And Jesus, does yeah. he have multiple wives? Well, and then Joseph married? Smith had, had all these wives, and yet he boasted that he could only find one. Yeah. And yet we know, and the church agrees, or um, acknowledges now that Joseph Smith had many wives, maybe up to 33, 35, 30, up to 34, 40 maybe. including him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, even as much as up yeah. to 40, yeah. And he had, and then he changed the, the, the comments that are in the Book of Mormon talk about David and Solomon as being abominable sins. Mm -hmm. And then the very, the introduction to the Book of Mormon, or the very first, <laughs> sorry, section 132, the very first verse, excuses David and Solomon Amen. for having the wives. Yeah, they, he, he so, counted his righteousness to yeah. them for so, because so they Joseph, did have him. Yeah, so Joseph Smith had to change it because I think he had a, a, a healthy lust for women and he needed <laughs> an some. An unhealthy lust. An unhealthy, 
and he needed some kind of justification, and the best he could do was... Say God did it. Yeah, and as a, as a Latter-day Saint, I never understood the situation with Hagar, yeah. that she was, uh, that that was all Sarah's idea, and then uh, he, she has the children and all that. I didn't realize that. It wasn't God telling right. Abraham to do that. Right. It was Sarah. And, mm -hmm. and, then, and then even in section 32 where he uh, uh, tells Emma that she's going to be destroyed, be destroyed. if she doesn't practice And we it. hear that. And those things are just, yeah. that's not the God of the, that uh, just doesn't sound very God-like. It's interesting that on page 132 of your book. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. You caught that. I didn't notice that myself. But. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's a God thing. But anyway, I have a quote from that page about section 132 that you okay. have in your book. Put more bluntly, a man may marry another wife if his first wife gives permission, but if she doesn't give it, then she is in the wrong and he can marry another wife anyway. And this is from section 32, right? 132, yeah. yeah. How does this make any sense? The audacity is mind-boggling. All the evidence I find points to the conclusion that section 132 is born out of Joseph Smith's desire to justify his sexual pursuits and not any revelation from God. And it can't be a revelation from God because God has actually forbidden it. <laughs> and, and this idea of the law of Sarah, that's what this is called. The polygamy yeah. groups teach it to this very day. And this may come up in a minute or so, but one of the first things I did when I started really ch being challenged was to get a red-letter Bible. Oh, yeah. I wanted to see what did Jesus talk about what and did what he really didn't say? he talk about. He had plenty of opportunities to tell us that polygamy was important and that mm -hmm. we should do it. And uh, he, he never did. He never did. Never did You're so. absolutely right with yeah. that. Absolutely. And I just, I just wish and pray and hope that the polygamists would check this out. Yeah. And even the LDS, because they still justify Joseph Smith's polygamy. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on to Chapter 8, which is entitled <laughs> The Book of Mormon, Origins, Changes, and Inconsistency, Inconsistencies. Yeah. Now, Joseph Smith claimed that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book and the keystone of the LDS religion. Now, after discovery of many errors in the Book of Mormon, the original one as well as the one today, but the original one, including DNA contradictions, has yeah. been proven by science. Does the LDS Church continue to this day to teach that it is the most correct of any book? Yeah, I'm sure without question. I haven't been in the church now for a few well, years to listen, but, but still, I'm sure they believe and It's still the most correct book, even after all book. the errors they found. The funny part, too, is that it doesn't include very much of LDS doctrine. No, well, that's there's, for sure. Yes, there's no celestial kingdoms or temple work that way. Uh, the priesthood is, is very... It, it's just the Book of Mormon can't be the most complete book or the most correct book. Uh, just because of the errors. And right. then my big problem with the, with the Book of Mormon was the changes that Joseph Smith made in the 1835 edition mm -hmm. from the 1830 edition where he changed the nature of God. Yeah. That, that's what got me started on my journey mm -hmm. okay. because I Good. couldn't understand how anyone could change the words of God. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he did. Mm -hmm. and, and he... Then, and then throughout the rest of his life, he contradicted on different occasions. There were so many contradictions. Yeah. The of lectures what he of said, faith. what he wrote. Yeah. yeah, that's what I started searching and really determined that the Book of Mormon was 
was flawed, that it had inconsistencies, and it just didn't make sense. So, and it didn't make sense of a God that would do that. So at the end of the chapter, of this particular chapter, you wrote, and I quote, I believe that everyone should be interested in ascertaining the Book of Mormon's truth or falsity. But when we look at the preponderance of evidence stacked up against its truth claims, the case for the divine <clears throat> inspiration of the Book of Mormon becomes impossible to sustain, and along with it, the validity of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, I know that's a harsh Very statement. Very strong but, conclusion, but, but it's true. You already mentioned the DNA. That's, that's something very provable now. And Absolutely, There's no yes. archaeology. There's no evidence that these Israelites were here on the well, North the American continent. Well, the DNA proves that, that, that right. they weren't. Yeah. And again, it, it just the contradictions in the... Yeah, and, yeah, and there's yeah. and there's been changes in the Book of Mormon. The Hill mm -hmm. Camora is a Camora was an island, Comoros Islands off of right. Madagascar, and the capital of those Motor, Comoros Islands was Moroni. Moroni yeah, yeah. It I mean, still is. A, yeah, yeah still so is there's today. a whole bunch of things that you can see where Joseph Smith may have plagiarized yeah. from other. Yeah. I other think places. so. Yeah. I think he plagiarized and copied a whole bunch of things, yeah. and, and, and what was going so on the in missing, his day as well. The missing history. Mormon doctrine, you know, it just it. That's concerning. It's, very concerning. Yeah. And I really didn't realize that until I started doing my own studies in that yeah. Mormon doctrine wasn't in the Book of Mormon, yeah. and that polygamy was, of course, that was what interested me the most. Yeah. Polygamy was, was prohibited in prohibited. the Book of Mormon. That's right. All right. Let's move to chapter nine, entitled "The Book of Abraham." challenging a prophetic claim. Uh, and you quote John Owen, who is a, yeah. was a 17th century English theologian. And I've used this quote on the yeah. program a few times, but let's use it again because you put it in your book. <laughs> if private revelations agree with the Bible, they're needless. And if they disagree, they're false. <laughs> it's pretty simple, isn't it's, it? It's very simple. It's yeah. very good. If and you agree with the Bible, then it's, it's then you don't, you need, don't it. need it. And if you don't, then you're wrong. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. very good. Um, and I think it's a good wake-up call uh, for anybody who reads your book and for anybody who watches our program, uh, for any people who embraces modern revelation. Yeah. Um, it's not needed because the Bible covers everything we need to know. Test all things. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we've covered the book of Abraham on our sure. show in uh, several past, uh, past programs. So briefly, what is the fatal flaw of the book of Abraham? I chose um, not to cover the papyrus that had been found in 1967 beyond the fact that it had been discovered. Uh -huh. In other words, somebody could have written on the backside of it. They could have not had all the papyrus. So I'm not challenging the entire book of Abraham. What I specifically was challenging were the facsimiles. Okay. Those things sit there as a picture. <laughs> they're, they're identifiable. We know what they are. They're in the scripts. I mean, they're in the papyrus. So Joseph Smith interpreted those things, and they have nothing to do with Egyptology. With what they really know, are. With what they really are. Yeah. So that, to me, was a fatal flaw. He, uh, the only things that we could challenge Joseph Smith about, because we don't know we have all the papyrus or the, mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. and that, is the fact that those facsimiles are sitting there and they're interpreted incorrectly. But if he lied about one thing, how can we trust well, him to be truthful about anything? That's exactly any of the rest right. Of it? it would be amazing if those facsimiles had been uh, in, had been congruent with 
Egyptology and Egyptian and hieroglyphics and those uh -huh. things that, that he had done it properly. Yeah, yeah. You know, then you could say, okay, well, then he, maybe the Book of Mormon is true. You know, mm -hmm. maybe the changes he made in the Bible are good because yeah. he did it, but they didn't. No, no, they didn't. And it just falls into line. It's just like a domino thing. And this was, for me, a very fatal flaw. Not the content of the Book of Abraham necessarily. I didn't want to challenge that because I we don't have the Book of Abraham. Maybe, but we do have the facsimiles, and that's mm -hmm. what my mm -hmm. my main thrust was there. And there's that's the that is enough evidence. I think okay, so. I think we have time to quickly cover um, the Book of Commandments, chapter ten, yeah. the Book of Commandments, evolving doctrine. Uh, so, what is the Book of Commandments? It's not we don't have that today in the no, Mormon Church. It's it was written in 1833, and there were like I think 45, 50 sections or chapters. And then uh, it was redone again in 1835 and became the Doctrine and the Covenants. Doctrine and Covenants. Okay. But what was interesting is in there, in the 1833, again, 1820, the first vision, 1829, the Aaronic priesthood, somewhere later, the Melchizedek priesthood gets restored. None of this, is, none of this stuff is in the 1833 Book yeah, of Commandments. Yeah. So it's like, wh why, why isn't it? You know, that seemed more odd. Changes, more changes and errors in that. There was a, a section that you'd have to read about, but J Oliver Cowdery was given this rod of nature blessing. Turns out in the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, it's changed to the rod of Aaron instead of the rod of nature. Hmm. So it's a strange change again of God, or Joseph Smith changing God's words. Yeah. Um, there was... Uh, Section 101, which was an interesting section that came on a little bit later, but it had to do with polygamy. It says that the church doesn't believe in men having more than one wife, and that was in there until 1876. The missionaries were out preaching this and showing, oh, we don't practice polygamy, yeah. and yet they were very heavily practicing it, and then, uh, of course, it got taken out later because it was... Not and truthful. then replaced with section 132, right? Yeah, that's right. right. Where they so, yeah. And it seemed like I had, oh, the name of the church was the Church of Christ in the Book of Commandments. And, uh, of course, we know that it's not the Church of Christ. In fact, you can't call it anything but that's <laughs> long, Jesus full Christ name Christ now. Saints, yeah. yeah, so yeah. there is so much contradictory. Yeah. Um, so the Book of Commandments didn't hold up very well to, <laughs> to any kind of scrutiny no, at all. Right. And then Jesus said... In Matthew 25, and which is also in Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Reaffirming from Isaiah 48, where God says the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So God's, God's true <laughs> words do not change. No. But the Mormons, as we've talked about now in the Book Con of Commandments, the Book of Mormon, changed have changed things. dramatically and drastically. Yeah. And either that, or they just dismiss old prophets, so they don't well, they don't listen to those and change those thoughts and yeah, words as well. So. Yeah, that's right. So it was changed several times and in peculiar ways, republished. But then, even through the years, and the Book of Mormon has also made some changes. These in recent years. Yeah. Um, so there, the God's but they say God said. So, you know, God's know. words do change then, according to them. Well, eventually he gets it right. God does. He finally got the name of the church right. <laughs> I mean, that took two or three changes. It was the Church of Latter-day Saints for a while. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, it yeah. was. Well, we're about out of time for this time, yeah. and we have one more, um, one more to go to finish up. Hopefully, we can finish up at least good. a good part of this. And so, watch uh, next time as we do part four, okay. uh, discussing Earl's book, The Fatal Flaws of the Mormon Church, yeah. the LDS Church. LDS so, watch us next time. And Thanks. Thank you, Earl. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.